to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. morning, friends. Our first reading comes from Jeremiah 29. It's, uh, we're going to read verses 4 to 23. That's on page 779 of the Pew Bible, if you've got it. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will, gather you, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, the Lord has raised up prophets from us, for us in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in the city, your countrymen who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like poor figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, and an object of cursing and horror and scorn and reproach amongst all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words I have sent them again and again 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 by my servants and prophets, And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Kaliah and Zedekiah and Messiah, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. I will hand them over to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles of Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. The Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives. And in my name have spoken lies, which I did not tell them to do. I know it, and I am a witness to it, declares the Lord. second reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Uh, You can find it on page 1191. That's page 1191. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, 
since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how he may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of coming to your word this morning. And we pray that as we look at your word together, that you will uh, speak to us and that you will change our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I frequently come across people who say to me that they're spiritual, but they're not religious. And usually what they mean by that is they believe in God, but they actually don't want anything to do with the church. Have you come across conversations like that? I kind of want to believe in God, but I don't actually want anything to do with the church. Is that possible? Well, our passage will tell us today that that isn't possible. It isn't possible to have something to do with God and not be involved in his church. Of course, sometimes we're also a little bit ambivalent about church. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult to turn up, isn't it? Sometimes it can be a bit artificial. It can feel like, really, do I have to drag myself there in the morning, and I'm the preacher. You know, like, really? I have to go? It can be a bit difficult. So what does the Bible have to say to my heart as well about those kinds of issues? Well, come with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at three exhortations in this particular passage. We're going to look at, let us draw near, hold fast, and consider Now up to this point, the writer to the Hebrews has been writing and examining what Jesus has done in his life, death and resurrection. And he's established that there is a new way, a new order, a new community. And as the writer to the Hebrews writes, he tells us, as a result of what Jesus has done, In his life, death, and resurrection, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. So come with me as we look at this in a bit more detail. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near. Now, the significance of that is that prior to this, people hadn't been able to draw near in the same way. Take, for example, the incidents around Mount Sinai. When God was giving out the Ten Commandments and the people were gathered, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. 
and the people may not come up with him. They must not come near. Now, of course, that pattern continued throughout the Old Testament, where we saw the high priest once a year go into the Holy of Holies to represent the people. But the people were not to come near. The priest went in to represent them in the Holy of Holies to speak with God, to make sacrifices on their behalf. But they were not to come near. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, everything has changed. The people of God now can come near. They can come near because their hearts have been sprinkled from a guilty conscience and their bodies have been washed with pure water. Of course, the writer of Hebrews is referring to the fact that Jesus has died in their place. Jesus has been that sacrifice that has opened up the way. If you look a little bit earlier on in the passage in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, we get to enter near to God. This is a profound Insight. It then shivers up my spine before only the priest could go near. But now, you and I are invited to come near. Now, this is not only speaking to us individually, it's speaking to us corporately. It's saying we are to come near. We are to come close to God. We are to understand who God is. We are to live in the presence of God. Wow. Living in the presence of God. Now, how does that work? That seems pretty amazing that we live day by day in the presence of God, that we live together as we come together in the presence of God. And I was trying to think, how does that work? How does, the, how, do we, how does that work in our heads when we live day by day? And I kind of thought of an illustration, but I think works, and I think kind of makes the point. And it involves a little child. You've probably all watched children who are looking for their parents. They kind of wander off for a little while. This little boy looks a bit grumpy. But they wander off for a little while, and all of a sudden, they wonder where their parents are. They look around, and sometimes they burst into tears if they can't see their parent. Because what is the child doing? The child is living in the presence of their parent. They are continually aware of their parent's presence. When they go out of their parent's presence, they don't feel comfortable. They feel scared. They don't feel secure. And the writer to the Hebrews is reminding us that we are invited to be near to God. We are invited into his presence, to be aware of his presence, both individually and corporately. 
That's not the only exhortation that he has, though. He says, hold fast. What does he mean by hold fast? Let us hold fast to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. Now, this is similar, but slightly different to what he was saying before. The sense here is that you are overwhelmed with the presence of God. Uh, The word used there actually was used in classical literature um, to speak, well, an example of it would be when Socrates was speaking to Ion. And Ion was trying to work out, uh, or they were both trying to work out, where does creative ability come from? Who gives you creative ability? How does creative ability work? Socrates' conclusion is, Ion's talent as an interpreter cannot be an art, a definable body of knowledge, or an ordered system of skills, but instead must come from the divine inspiration of the muses. So in Plato's view, as he writes, he's saying basically you have to be overtaken by muses in order to produce art. You can't do it by yourself. Now, you probably disagree with that. But you get the sense of the word, don't you? It's to be overtaken, to be completely captured, to be, if you like, captivated by the hope that we profess. Enthralled with the hope we profess. And why are we to be enthralled with the hope we profess? Because he who is promised is faithful. Now we heard that reading from Jeremiah chapter 29 and we heard God promising that he would rescue his people. He told them to live amongst the nation there in a way that benefited the nation. But he said, that will come to an end. And I will rescue you and I will rescue you from all nations. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus. So the reason we are to be captivated, the reason we are to be captivated by the hope we profess is because God has been faithful in his promises. He has our future in his hands. And it calls us to be captivated not just individually, but together. This is directed to God's people, captivated together by the hope we profess. The third thing that the writer to the Hebrews exhorts us to is to consider. Let us consider. Now the sense of considering there is about a deep thoughtfulness a sense of, how will this work? What do we need to do? How do we need to go about this? It's intentional. The idea is that you move forward, but you move forward with purpose. And he says, having spoken about God and what he's done, let us now consider one another. And what 
the writer of the Hebrews describes here is a mutual ministry. A mutual ministry to one another. There are, of course, lots of passages in the Bible that talk about one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Love one another. The Bible continues to talk all the time about one another. There's a mutualness that the Bible talks about, about being God's people. There's an accountability. Because what we see here is spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The spur here is actually not that pleasant. (laughs) The spur here is actually like, niggle someone. Tell them that they've got to get on with it. Tell them when they're not loving someone, when they've got things wrong. Tell them when they're not involved in good deeds. Love them. But tell them the truth. So if you see a person who's sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend, spur one another. If you see someone spending their money in a way that isn't consistent with being with following God, spur one another. If you see someone hating someone else, spur one another. Now that, that sounds extremely confronting. We're very used to the idea of kind of living our own lives in our own little ways. And the thought that someone else, someone else we go to church with, someone else in our community can actually speak into our lives and challenge us and spur us to love and good deeds is rather threatening. And yet, that's what the writer of the Hebrews is calling us to. To be in such a community, to be together in such a way, in light of what God has done for us, that we can speak into each other's lives. That we can help one another grow. That we can see our lives develop and us draw near to God and be captivated by him. This is a radical kind of community. Because this community is also committed to good deeds. Now, the good deeds here, of course, are referring to good deeds amongst those who meet together regularly. And one of the wonderful things about being part of this church is is watching that happen. I'm just delighted when I hear of meals being delivered, of people praying with one another, with one another, of people meeting together to love one another. I mean, did you realise that 45 people this year have met together just to read the Bible together? Two people at a time. Wow, that's exciting. That's, that's great. That's about spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And look, Those good deeds, when the Bible speaks about them, often have an impact outside our community as well. You might remember that passage in um, in Matthew chapter Matthew chapter five, where it talks about being a light in our community. 
And it says that our good deeds will proclaim who God is, that people will rejoice and turn to him. You see the same thing happening in 1 Peter chapter 2, where they'll glorify God because of your good deeds. And certainly in the early church, that was the case. This is a letter by Emperor Julian complaining about the Christians and their good deeds. Why do we observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for graves of the dead, and their pretended holiness of lives that have done most to increase atheism? That's referring to Christianity, because it has one God. The early church had a huge impact on its society because of the good deeds it was involved in. Not only to one another, to those outside the church as well. And so what we see here is an encouragement to spur one another on to love and good deeds. You can also see there's an encouragement there, building one another up, supporting one another up. But notice what it also says. Let us not give up meeting together. Now at this point, this is what most ministers would do, and I've done this myself. That means you've got to be at church more often. You've got to attend church more often because it says, not, don't give up in that, the habit of meeting together. Well, of course that's partly right, isn't it? It's easy to get slack. It's easy to get to a point where you kind of go, why do I need to be there? Like, I'd rather sleep in or I'd rather go out. But do you notice what the meeting together comes after? The meeting together comes after considering one another. The reason we come together is, yes, to worship our God, yes, to hear his word, yes, to be built up together, but actually to consider one another. Is that, is that how you think when you walk into church? Okay, how can I consider the other people here? How can I encourage them? And oh, I'm going to be missing this Sunday. That means I won't have the opportunity, the privilege of caring for someone in my community. And what drives all this? What drives this change in thinking from attendance to being the church? What drives this thinking from just turning up to church to see what goes on to saying, how can I be involved? How can I care for other people? Well, it's a deep, deep knowledge of what God has done for us. For the fact that he has drawn us near and we can draw near. The fact he's provided for us a way to hold fast. He's given us a hope, a joy in the future. Come back with me as we finish and look at verse 19. This is the motivation. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, a confidence born of Jesus' death, life, death and resurrection, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus because of what he has done for us, by a new and living way opened for us 
through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, since God has done all that for us, since God has called us together in his name, since God is over us, therefore let us draw near, hold fast, and consider others. Brothers and sisters, let's not be a church where we attend. Let's be a church where we come together as a Christian community to consider others, to build one another up, to love and good deeds. Now this passage amongst many has been part of our thinking about what our vision could be. Earlier this year you might... um, have known that we consulted with a number of people, we invited everyone to these consultations, and we said, what do you think of what our thinking is at this point? And people gave us some really useful feedback, very helpful. Thank you, those people who came along and joined us. Subsequent to that, the parish council and the ministry team has spent many hours, can I say many hours, uh, discussing things back and forth, sometimes to the point of going, like, really, do we have to keep talking about this? To the point where we've, we've come up with something. And we want to share it with you this morning. Now, we're going to go into some more detail in that meeting a little bit later on. But this is what we came up with. All the parish councillors are sitting there going, it's going to work. Whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Now, it's quite nuanced. The whole communities is talking about our whole community, or as it meets on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Sunday afternoon. Whole communities also speaks into the idea of Newtown and Erskineville. We want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. But we also want to see whole communities. Communities that are complete Communities that are rich in their life together. Communities that express that love that is found in Christ. And the way that will happen is if people are captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Now there's more to say. There's more to say. And please come back to that meeting afterwards. You might say, be saying, well, that's, that's a grand vision, but what's my part to play? How do I fit into this? Well, our mission, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on, what we want you to do, what we want all of us to do, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in prayerful dependence, we want you and me to connect people to Jesus, to play your part in building people up in Jesus and releasing people to serve Jesus. Consider, consider how you might connect people to Jesus. Consider how you might build people up in Jesus. Consider how you might release people to serve Jesus. And working together, we will see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity of looking at your word this morning. 
We thank you for the way that it challenges us deeper in our hearts. Father, give us the strength to be able to respond to it. That we might truly be your people. That we might understand what it means to draw close, to draw near. That we might truly understand, both as individuals and a community, what it means to hold fast. And Father, what it means to consider one another. Father, we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.